I'm All India, Executive Briefings. In the Shadow of the Dragon, by Adit Jain. Three months ago, the USS John McCain, a guided missile destroyer based in Japan, sailed through the Straits of Taiwan. The United States Navy, in a statement, declared that the ship's transit was intended to demonstrate its commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. This was the first time in the administration of President Joe Biden that the U.S. military had traversed through waters, which China claims as its backyard. The message was clear. The freedom of navigation through international territory would continue, despite what China might want. The Biden presidency would stand by an international rules-based order. When measured by military spending as the yardstick, it would be true to suggest that America outspends the rest of the top 10 countries put together. In 2020, the United States defense budget aggregated to 788 billion US dollars, which constituted 40% of global defense spending. Consequently, it would seem valid to suggest that its military might far exceeds that of China. However, the reality is not as reassuring. A dollar spent in China goes much further than a dollar spent in America. Goods are cheaper to produce and wages much lower. At market exchange rates, China's defense budget is about a third of America's, however in terms of purchasing power parity, it jumps to two-thirds. Clearly, China appears to be catching up quickly. The Great Rise, Dependencies and Disputes When Chinese President Xi Jinping spoke of the great rise of the Chinese nation, he referred to many things. However, the most important of these was a powerful China which, after centuries of domination and alleged humiliation by the Western Japan, would occupy its rightful place in the community of nations. Under his rule, China has adopted an assertive stance with its neighbors. This not only includes India but also Taiwan, together with a number of Southeast Asian countries that have conflicting claims on islands and territorial waters in the South China Sea. China argues, on the basis of some highly disputed ancient maps, that that the entire waters of the sea are its sovereign territory. Consequently, it has disputes with the Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Brunei. Its fishing fleets, accompanied by the People's Navy, bully other vessels in the waters, which several Asian nations assert are theirs. It set up oil rigs in waters along the coast of Vietnam, occupied land claimed by Bhutan and intruded upon Indian territory by force. It exerts strong claims on the Senkaku Islands, controlled by Japan. China, consequently, has quarrels with most countries within the Asian region, but it is also their most important trade and investment partner. The prosperity of many countries depends on their economic linkages with the Middle Kingdom. This creates a dilemma. So far the strategy assumed by most countries is simply to kick the can further, without precipitating a confrontation. Chinese efforts to create global domination and dependencies has, more recently, been through the Belt and Road Initiative. This involves vast investments in dozens of countries by Chinese authorities, through state-owned enterprises. Trade with China is perhaps the most important prop for these economies and, consequently, they have a submissive posture towards Beijing. And its intent is clear. It seeks to be the only superpower in the Indo-Pacific region, where it intends to deal with regional governments on its own terms.
As a Chinese foreign minister, speaking at a regional conference in Singapore remarked to his Vietnamese counterpart, China is a large country, Vietnam is a small country and that is a fact of life. Given its rise over the course of the past 20 years, China strongly resents American meddling within Asia. It believes it is the dominant power and the Indo-Pacific is within its backyard. It has established military bases on several atolls in the South China Sea, with capabilities of landing both fighter aircraft and heavy military equipment. These bases contain sophisticated surface-to-air missile batteries that can pursue enemy targets with guided precision. The Nine-Dash Line was established by China decades ago, to justify its claims in the South China Sea. Contested areas include, the Paracel and the Spratly Islands, various other reefs including Pratas and the Verica Banks, the Macclesfield Bank and the Scarborough Shoal. The claim encompasses an area of land reclamation by the Chinese known as the Great Wall of Sand. The Nine-Dash Line has been used by China to show the full extent of its claim, without indicating how the dashes would be joined, if it were continuous or how that might affect the coverage of the entire area claimed by Beijing. Immediately after China submitted a map to the UN, including the Nine-Dash Line's territorial claim in the South China Sea, on 7 May 2009, the Philippines lodged a diplomatic protest for what it argued was an illegal declaration. Vietnam, Malaysia and Indonesia too filed joint protests. Despite claims and counterclaims, the fact is China is the more powerful entity amongst the various claimants and consequently gets away with what it believes is its right, international laws be damned. Sino-Indian Conflict Closer home, the Sino-Indian border dispute is an ongoing territorial disagreement over the sovereignty of two relatively large, and several smaller, separated pieces of territory between China and India. The first is Xichin, claimed by China as part of the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region and Tibet Autonomous Region. It is also claimed by India as part of the Union Territory of Ladakh. The area is a virtually uninhabited high-altitude wasteland in the larger regions of Kashmir and Tibet and is crossed by the Xinjiang-Tibet Highway. The other disputed territory is south of the McMahon Line, an area formerly known as the Northeast Frontier Agency and now the Indian state of Arunachal Pradesh. The McMahon Line was part of the 1914 similar convention signed between British India and Tibet. India, rightfully continues to maintain that the line is the legal border in the east. China has never accepted that border, stating that Tibet was never independent when it signed the similar convention and consequently any agreements it vetted remain void. The 1962 Sino-Indian War was fought in both disputed areas. Chinese troops attacked Indian border posts in Lodak in the west and crossed the McMahon Line in the east. There was a brief border clash in 1967 in the region of Sikkim. In 1987 and in 2013, potential conflicts over the two differing lines of actual control were successfully de-escalated. A conflict involving a Bhutanese-controlled area on the border between Bhutan and China was successfully checked in 2017, following injuries to both Indian and Chinese troops. Multiple brawls broke out again in June 2020, escalating to dozens of deaths. The Sino-Indian border dispute is seen as part of China's salami slice strategy, which it has used effectively across other parts of the Asian region.
domination over the Indian Ocean. But China's territorial ambitions of influence do not remain limited to the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia. The string of pearls is a geopolitical theory on potential Chinese government intentions in the Indian Ocean. It refers to the network of Chinese military and commercial facilities and relationships along sea lines of communication. This extends from the Chinese mainland to Port Sudan in the Horn of Africa. The sea lines run through several major maritime choke points such as the Strait of Malacca and the Strait of Hormuz, as well as other strategic maritime centers in Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, the Maldives and Somalia. This plan, together with the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and other parts of China's Belt and Road Initiative, constitutes a threat to India's national security. For, such a system would encircle India and threaten its trade and possibly territorial integrity. Moreover, Beijing's support for Pakistan and its Gwadar port is viewed as a menace, compounded by fears that China may develop an overseas naval military base in there. China's anti-piracy naval deployment in the Indian Ocean, beginning in December 2008 and the acquisition of its first overseas military post in Djibouti in August 2017, is evidence of China's permanent military presence in the Indian Ocean. India has a counter-strategy in place but that is the subject of another discussion. The Quad emerges in response. To take on the might of the Chinese dragon by any single country seems impossible. Hence, the coming together of a group of four like-minded nations into a casual alliance called the Quad. The Quadrilateral Security Alliance is an informal strategic dialogue between the United States, Japan, Australia and India that is maintained by talks between member countries. The dialogue was initiated in 2007 by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan with the support of Vice President Dick Cheney of the US, Prime Minister John Howard of Australia and Prime Minister Mine Mo and Singh of India. The dialogue was supported by joint military exercises of an unprecedented scale, titled Malabar. The diplomatic and military arrangement was widely viewed as a response to increased Chinese economic and military power. The Chinese government responded to the quadrilateral dialogue by issuing formal diplomatic protests to its members. The Quad ceased following the withdrawal of Australia during Kevin Rudd's tenure as Prime Minister, reflecting inconsistencies in Australian policy over the growing tension between the United States and China. Following Mr Rudd's replacement by Julia Gillard in 2010, enhanced military cooperation between the United States and Australia resumed, leading to the placement of U.S. Marines near Darwin, overlooking the Timor Sea and Lombok Strait. India, Japan, and the United States continued to hold joint naval exercises through Malabar. During the 2017 ASEAN summit in Manila, all four former members led by Shinzo Abe, Narendra Modi, Malcolm Turnbull, and Donald Trump agreed to revive the Quadrilateral Alliance in order to counter China militarily and diplomatically in the South China Sea. Tensions between Quad members and China have led to fears of what was dubbed by some commentators as a new Cold War in the region. Whilst that would be an overstatement, the reality is closer to a scold war with most countries on the receiving end of China's irritation. More recently, in a 2021 joint statement, Quad members described a shared vision for a free and open Indo-Pacific and a rules-based maritime order in the East and South China Seas, 
which COD members declared is needed to counter Chinese maritime claims. In the early 21st century, the strategic preoccupation of the United States with Iraq and Afghanistan served as a distraction from pursuing interests in the Indo-Pacific. The American absence coupled with rising Chinese economic power, brought about changes that undermined America's traditional role in the region. In the past, the United States sought a policy of soft containment of China by organizing strategic partnerships with democracies in Asia. While U.S. alliances with Japan, Australia and India now form the bulwark of this policy, the development of closer U.S. military ties to India has been a complex and slow process, which began since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Unlike other Quad members, India is strictly not an American ally. Taiwan is first priority. The rest of Asia aside, China's top priority and America's gravest concern remains China's claims on Taiwan, which it has ingrained as a constitutional right. It treats Taiwan as a renegade province that must ultimately be reunited with the mother country, ideally through peaceful measures failing which, by military might. China's strategy over the past decade was to allow the current status quo to continue in the hope that its large market, and Taiwan's near-complete economic dependency on Beijing, would ensure a peaceful merger. But that strategy seems to have failed. The rise of nationalist sentiments in Taiwan and a desire to announce independence have rattled China, forcing it to declare that any step towards formal independence would result in a swift full-scale military invasion. With no ambiguity at all on this score, Taiwan has so far refrained from taking the plunge and allowed the status quo to linger. However, the administration of President Xi Jinping has made clear that such a situation cannot persist endlessly and Taiwan needs to return to the homeland, preferably by peaceful persuasion and if not, by force. For decades, a situation of opacity kept the peace between America and China over Taiwan. Politicians in Beijing say there is only one China, which they run, and that Taiwan is a rebellious part of it. America ostensibly agrees with the one China idea, but has spent years ensuring there are two. Now, however, this ambiguity is breaking down. The United States is coming to fear that it may no longer be able to prevent Beijing from seizing Taiwan by force and, if the Pentagon is to be believed, in the coming six years. Although the United States is strictly not obligated to defend Taiwan, as there is no treaty to this effect, a Chinese assault would be a test of America's military might and its diplomatic resolve. If the U.S. Navy's 7th Fleet failed to show up, China would overnight become the dominant power in Asia. America's allies around the world would suspect that they could not count on it. Its relationship with Europe and NATO would collapse, creating a new set of complications in the West with a more assertive Russia. What has changed of late is America's conviction of a tipping point in the military advantage it previously enjoyed. Over the past five years, the Chinese Navy has launched 90 major ships and submarines, and has the sharper edge in the Indo-Pacific. China builds over 100 advanced fighter planes each year, it has deployed space weapons and is loaded with precision missiles that can hit Taiwan, U.S. Navy vessels and American bases in Japan, South Korea, and Guam. In the war games where the Pentagon simulates a Chinese attack on Taiwan, America has started to lose. 
Some American analysts conclude that military superiority will sooner or later tempt China into using force against Taiwan, not as a last resort but because it now can. The issue to now consider is the role of the Quad in the event of a Chinese invasion across the Straits of Taiwan. The Quad is not, yet, a military alliance but rather a discussion forum which also participates in naval exercises. There are no binding agreements, even less informal commitments, on the response strategy of individual members in reaction to a China-led conflict. It is not likely at all that, in the present circumstances, its members will join hands with America in a conflict with China. Japan, which has a separate military treaty with the United States, would be hindered by its pacifist constitution, which prevents it from engaging in any international conflict. At best, it may lend logistical and intelligence support. Australia, for all its recent saber-rattling against China, is unlikely to dispatch troops despite being a strategic American ally and a member of the Five Eyes Club that includes various Anglo-Saxon countries that share intelligence with each other. India would be politically constrained from dispatching its eastern naval fleet comprising of 52 warships. Effectively, a future battle over Taiwan would be largely America's alone to fight. What can change this is the constitution of a formal agreement along the lines of NATO, which binds members to come to the aid of others in the event of a conflict. Such an agreement would be very hard to pull off, considering the differing political and social opinions in the countries concerned. This needs very strong and decisive leadership that enjoys backing across the entire political spectrum. Most leaders would discover that they have limited political capital to go through with it. In the meantime, China's salami tactics would continue along its borders with India and the rest of Southeast Asia. It would stir a situation to test the waters and then pull back without triggering a full-scale conflict. An unprovoked full-scale attack on India, say, would distract from its overriding aim to secure Taiwan and worryingly risk American help in a conflict. Under compulsions of a Chinese invasion, India may ask for U.S. military support and consequently, hurriedly submit to an American-led military alliance in the Quad. This would not work in China's favor. Clearly, therefore, China's first priority both emotionally and strategically remains Taiwan. Such a situation would force countries to make choices. Southeast Asia that has played a balancing game, doing deals with China but remaining dependent on America for security, may be pushed to pick one or the other. This would be a terrible choice to make. Moreover, the Americans are bound to ask for India's involvement, creating a dilemma of the most serious order. To join the US in support would surely antagonize China. To not do so, would leave India vulnerable at a later date as the Americans might then respond in a similar fashion if the Chinese turn aggressive in Ladakh, Bhutan, Sikkim or Arunachal. A Hobson's choice. These are some of the imperatives that India's policy planners may have to grapple with. A declared statement of intent together with an official response strategy takes the dithering away. Everyone then knows what has to be done and accepts it without debate. Then there is the rest of Asia. Long-range planning is based on futuristic scenarios which examine events, probabilities and the extent of impact. In the geopolitical theater of Asia, there are two main actors, China and the United States, that affect the destiny of several others. 
The most likely scenario is one where China makes the first move concerning the unification of Taiwan with the mainland. If this is successful, then it may raise its ambitions further into Southeast Asia amongst the smaller countries of ASEAN and in India in Lodak, Sikkim, and Arunachal Pradesh. Nepal may quickly submit into a vassal state, derailing its current status as a buffer between two large countries. International law and global obligations would be discarded. The only way to prevent this is through an international coalition of democracies that come together in alliance to prevent further influence of the dragon. ASEAN, which was created in the 1960s as a sort of military alliance against the spread of communism, has morphed into a talking shop, with summits in resort towns across Asia. These summits serve little value apart from providing a photography platform with leaders in printed shirts. With the rapid changes taking place in Asia, an absence of a rebuttal can be damaging to longer-term peace and liberal values. The Quad needs to be both expanded to include South Korea and ASEAN and formalized as a defensive military alliance. This will inevitably result in diplomatic cries of foul by China, but these will only last for a few months. The Quad has less than 10 years to do so, or it might be too late. In the meantime, all that we could hope is for the US Navy to continue to patrol the international waters of Asia.